Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. dedicated in my heart that I was going to begin praying. Now, this is going to sound shallow to some people, but I had dedicated my heart. I was going to begin praying for FAU athletics. Now, that sounds silly, sounds shallow, uh, but they were terrible at everything. And um, and I wanted to begin praying. They were bad, right? Once upon a time. Mikey said that I could have walked on at one point, right? And now you know, because I don't play. And so, <clears throat> uh, after I had been praying for years, they hired Lane Kiffin to be the uh, head football coach. And after the, yes, anybody who knows, knows. And then uh, FAU won their division, the Conference USA. They won the Conference USA title. And once they hired Lane Kiffin and they won the Conference USA title, applications went up 23%. And when applications go up 23%, you get to be far more selective in how many students you get. The, the school prospers, the city prospers. It just, I hate the fact that athletics is tied to schools, but it is what it is, amen? And so I hate that you have to earn money to uh, pay your bills, but you do. And so I pray for money, right? And so I hate that athletics is so, so closely tied to university success, but it is. And so uh, now, you know, they, then they were kind of nasty the next year. And then the next year they won Conference USA again, and then they didn't do so good on the next hire. But we're believing the new one's going to be better. But uh, And so now basketball has given our city um, a, a, a reputation of winning. And so we're to pray for our city to prosper. We're to pray for our city to prosper. Because when the city prospers, the people in the city prosper. And so we're to pray for, like, we can't separate our, our, our faith in, in the natural. We need to pray that the things around us prosper. And so I am excited about FAU. I'm a sports fan. I'm happy they're in the Final Four, and it's a really big deal. If you're not a sports fan, it's a big deal to be in the Final Four. My team, the Gators, was awful this year, so it was great that my second team did so well. Thank you, Mikey. You're good to go. Appreciate that. I have, um, I, I, I uh, was sick. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But because I was sick last week, I watched the service from the hospital. Uh, which I do not recommend. Um, and uh, thank you, sir. And I uh, appreciate you for praying for me. I'll talk about that again in a little bit. Uh, but I am more happy than normal to be in the house of God today. Something something has happened in the last two weeks with me not eating that my voice has gotten somehow weak. And uh, when they started going in, I started yelling, and then I gave my voice to worship, apparently. And so <clears throat> we're just going to believe that my voice will make it through. Hallelujah. I today am going to do something a little different. I'm going to tell you uh, two stories. I'm going to try to tell them briefly. I'm going to paraphrase them. Uh, and I'm going to share a scripture from Paul. And then we're going to pray. We good? So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. While you're going there, uh, Easter is in two Sundays. That's when we, that's when we, yeah, amen, come on. That's when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's a great time to invite your family and friends who don't normally go to church. They're likely to come on Easter and Christmas service because they check off a little religious box. Let's use the religious box for the advantage of Jesus, amen? <clears throat> so in the, uh, so in the two stories are kind of long stories. And normally I like to read the scriptures that go along with it, but in, in our lectionary reading today, uh, we have 45 verses out of John, 14 verses out of Ezekiel, and even I can't stand to read that long out loud. So I'm going to do some paraphrasing. Are you okay with that? Okay, good. You just have to trust me, and I would encourage you to go home and read John chapter 11 for yourself, because there's a lot in it. So as we're out here in John chapter 11, to tell you a little bit about the book of 
John, as you read the Scriptures, of course, we know there's the three synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they kind of go along the same path. They're all, there is theory that they're all based on the same source text with different stories woven in depending on who you were discipled by. Uh, we believe that Mark is the oldest. Um, Luke was, came much later, and he did his own investigation, neither here nor there. Uh, and then we have John. John kind of came from a different vantage point. We have four Gospels, uh, not because there's, there, there is contradiction in the Scriptures, but because we're all different and we're all viewing Jesus a little bit different. And the fact that we have four Gospels is a recognition that we're all individuals. Right? And so we have four individual people writing four individual accounts of the same Jesus in the same story. When we get to John chapter 11, of course, we know that John is split up into the beginning. It has seven miracles that we see in the book of John. John chapter 11 details that seventh miracle. And then he goes into what's called the Passion Week. The Passion Week is a week leading up to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So here we are preparing... Uh, for Resurrection Sunday, and of course, Jesus knows what's going on. And today we are going to talk about, like I said, this seventh miracle that we find in John chapter 11. Now, in this story, we find uh, some some bachelors. We find some bachelors, and, and, and uh, are women, single women called bachelors? Uh, uh, bachelorettes, some bachelors, bachelorettes, or however you are, single folk. Single folk. And Jesus had, Jesus, of course, lived his entire life a single man. Uh, and so uh, there's a kind of a church lie that says you have to be married to be fully whatever in the church. I feel like Jesus did it pretty well, single. Right? I believe like the Son of God, Messiah, Honor, did it pretty well, single. And Jesus had these three very close friends. We see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know that Lazarus, many believe that that was Jesus' best friend here on earth, another single man. And in the story, we find these uh, three single folks Jesus, or excuse me, all four, Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Jesus is away from them at this time, and during it, uh, Lazarus got sick. And as time went on, uh, his condition deteriorated. We don't know what exactly was wrong with him, but we know that he died. Lazarus, the best friend of Jesus, died, comma, if you have things that go wrong in your life, it's not because necessarily because you're away from God. Bad things happen to good people. Amen? Just let the condemnation come off your life. Right? We like to try to figure out why stuff happens, and many times we just don't know. Amen? And so Lazarus, Jesus' best friend, dies. Mary and Martha, who were so very close to Jesus, figured if, 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 if we're this close, and he did all these miracles, what happened? We don't understand, but... Yet and still, Lazarus dies, and they send message to Jesus. They send just message to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is not well, he's dead, and there's this kind of debate about what's going on with Lazarus uh, among his disciples and Jesus. Like, is he asleep? Is he dead? And uh, when Jesus heard that Lazarus dies, the Bible very purposefully said he waited two days before he went to Lazarus, where Lazarus was. And we pick up our story here in John chapter 11, verse 14. There was confusion about what was going on with Lazarus. So Jesus said to them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about you, but those don't sound like comforting words. Like, you needed a miracle from Jesus... And you go to Jesus and you said, I needed a miracle and you didn't come through. And Jesus says to you, I'm glad I wasn't there to do the miracle. Now, there's some room to be offended, though. There's a little room to be like some type of way, right? Like there's, there's, some, there's some margin here. Like, you, like, uh, like it's a good thing I know you at this point because you could catch these hands with words like that, right? I'm glad I wasn't there. Wait, what? I thought we were the closest to you. But let's just follow this story. <clears throat> Verse 15, we'll read it again. And I'm glad for your sakes I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's all go so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that, they had already, uh, that he had already been in the tomb four days. Wow. Four days dead, 
what is going on here? Have you ever had a blessing delayed? You ever had like, like you done sent Jesus the late notice, and you treated the he treated the late notice just like you treat late notices? <laughs> you ever had a pile of bills piling up somewhere, and they're expecting you to respond to those bills, but they're just piling up somewhere? Yeah, yeah, and and, and you're like Jesus. I need I need some prompt. This requires your prompt attention. <laughs> I don't want to have to elevate this, this this incident to a higher authority, but there is no higher authority. That's, he's all you got, right? And what is what does he tell us? We see in the word that Paul says, you know, when we fall into various trials, count it all joy. That is that like that. That's not what you want to hear, right? Like, why would we count it all joy? I, I remember before I got saved, I was in my twenties in a. Uh, older uh, mentor of mine, uh, his mother had been saved since, like, I think Moses led her to Christ. I don't know. She was not a young woman back then, right? And uh, her Bible was well-worn. And she just had this peace about her in everything. There was just, there was just this, 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 this assured notice that Jesus was going to come through in a way that is better than she could have ever planned it herself. Doesn't mean she was going to get what she wanted. Doesn't mean she wasn't going to have trials. But there was just this peace on the inside of her. But 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 Paul, I believe, had a, a similar assurance in his spirit that whatever God allows to happen, he will turn it all for good. Now that's a place of maturity. If you're not there today, I don't want you to feel condemnation. But I want you to know, as you walk with Jesus, there will be a day that someone will come to you freaking out. And you'll hear yourself say, oh, God's going, he's got this. God's got this in his hands. If you stay faithful to Jesus, he's going to work out this problem. Because there is a long lineage of people who have found out that Jesus is faithful. Amen. He is faithful. Now, I believe that God is teaching us often in our delayed blessing. Not always. Bad things happen to people on earth. And just because you're faithful to Jesus does not mean you will not have trials. We see right here in the Scripture, Lazarus died. Now, how many of you have died? Well, I know at least one man in this room has. Uh, and, and the doctors brought him back. But like, I, don't, I can't think of much worse, right? Um, but, but we know that bad things happen because bad things happen to Jesus' best friend. Whoa, so that means following Jesus doesn't do nothing. No, no, no. That's not what that means at all. That means that when bad things happen, we're not alone in the bad things. We have the creator of heaven and earth here with us in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. No, no. We're going to clap. All right, all right. Come on. We're going to thank Jesus for that right now. <clears throat> but there's something to learn in this story I want you to get today than shallow sentimentality. I want to put something in your spirit today that will give you hope in the midst of trials. And so we know that when Lazarus died, Lazarus was in Bethany. Bethany is in Judea. That's the region of Judea. And not long before this story, Jesus had been in Judea with his disciples, and they tried to murder him there. And that's why Thomas is like, oh, where are we going? To, to, to Judea? And, and Lazarus is dead? Oh, yeah, let's all go, because we can all die with him, right? Like, if we go there, Jesus, this is, this is not a place we all want to lead, we want to go to. Because there is a stench now of death over this city. There's a stench of death over this memory. There's a stench of death over that time period of where I was. We left that place. I'd like to never go back to that place. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, you're going to go back to some places that have the stench of death. And Jesus is like, it's a good thing that I'm going to force y'all to go there because I want to see some life happen in the places of your life that have the stench of death. See, sometimes Jesus has to walk us toward the very thing bringing us pain. Now, I, I know we like to run. I know we like to reinvent ourselves. There's a, there's a, there's a thing that happens now in this generation called ghosting, where, where if someone brings you pain, you just cut them off like they never lived. And, make, you make, and holy ghosting, like she said, means we go back and we repair breaches. You, you cannot sever your psyche. You can't sever your emotions. You, you, you can't just cut it and think you can 
move on. I, 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 I'm so troubled by a generation that has not learned how to deal with conflict and disappointment. Instead, they think they can cut off part of their heart and move on like it never happened, and that your body will wear the weight of that disappointment, that hurt, that pain, and that rejection. We have to learn how to deal with the pain of our past. Otherwise, it continues to live and rot and stink on the inside of us. You can't just move. You have to be able to process and move through it and move on. In order to do that, you have to go toward it and face it and deal with it. Sometimes we feel like I can just run from it. I can just run from this pain. If I move to a new city, then I can just start over again. Friend, you can't. You take it with you. Your body bears the weight of your internal struggle and you cannot move away from yourself. You are the sum total of your experiences. And so we need to be able to travel back toward those things so we can see healing. Amen. Jesus teaches this over and over again. Uh, The teachings of Jesus are so powerful because they're so multi-layered. He's not just a good teacher. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, towards the afterlife, but the here and now, He teaches us how to be healthy. He tells us, listen, when you're, when you're so mad at somebody, you want to kill them, what you need to do is look at them and forgive. Why? You've got to heal that internal anger. And the only way to do that is to release it to Jesus. It may take you a thousand times to forgive that person before your heart is no longer bitter toward them. But bitterness is swallowing poison and hoping someone else gets sick. We have to forgive so that we can be healed. Sometimes we need to bless people we don't like. The lesson that God has taught me time and again, that we have to bless people in our comings and our goings. And we have to release people without gossip. This is a way of healing. But Jesus will cause us to walk toward our fears so that we see there's nothing there that really can harm us. Let me be very honest with you right now, and I don't know who this is for. The, the, the danger in the, the, the toxic nature of ghosting, of what people are calling cancel culture, to cut people off is we dehumanize them, and we don't stay connected long enough to be healed of that trauma, and then it haunts us like a ghost. That relationship haunts us like a, a ghost. And of course, what we know about ghosts are they're not real. But we give it power because it haunts us. Because we have not healed that thing that happened. And so Jesus sometimes in our greatest fears, the very thing we feared the most as we get closer to Jesus, He brings people into our mind we don't want to think about. He brings situations in our minds that we don't think about. He brings that stack of bills in our mind that we don't want to think about. And He says, listen, I know you don't have the money to pay this bill, but you need to call them at least. And you're terrified to make that call. And Jesus is like, you need to connect with those you're fearful of to see that the calamity you're fearful of is not actually there. The devil only got three tools, steal, kill, destroy. And he uses fear toward all these things. He wants you to be so scared that you get paralyzed and you don't walk toward the very thing that brings you healing. I've known too many people who were scared of the diagnosis in their body so they didn't go to the doctor until it was too late. People who were too scared to deal with the debt and so they don't deal with it until there's a foreclosure. They don't have the hard conversation and they gossip with everybody else instead of being someone with some real fortitude to have an honest conversation and see if we can't bridge the divide. Instead, it's just a cancer in their heart that pollutes relationships when one awkward conversation could have prevented everything. Am I talking to anybody this morning? You can do it. You can walk toward these painful things. And so Jesus waits four days before He goes to where the disciples were terrified to go and where death stunk up the whole town. Two weeks ago, I, I, uh, I, uh, two weeks ago on, on, on Friday, I started getting a stomach ache. And, uh, and I'd had a, a history of kind of like just stomach, undiagnosable stomach pains, right? For about eight, nine years now. And uh, I just thought I would tough it out. And uh, on Saturday, things, things started getting 
kind of painful. Like, like, wow, this is like there's something wrong. You, you ever know, like, like there's something wrong. Like parents, you you know this better than anybody when your kid is sick or they're angry or they're hungry, and then you're like, no, no, there's something wrong, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so in my mind, I'm like, there's something wrong, and I don't know what it is, but I just really trusted that it would turn. And uh, Sunday, or excuse me, uh, Saturday, I woke up. Yeah, it, was, it was Friday, Friday, Saturday, I woke up. Sunday, I woke up, and I, it was sharp pain. I came to church, and I felt kind of achy, but, but not bad. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so Sunday, I'm, uh, I'm feeling like, man, am I coming down with a cold? I, at the end of service, my wife came to me, and she's like, hey, I really want to go out to go out to lunch, and uh, I like taking my wife to lunch because it makes her happy, and I don't have to do any work, right? So if I get to bless her and not actually have to do a lot, I'm down. Uh, so uh, she's like, hey, I really want to go to lunch. And I'm like, man, I'm just not feeling well. I'm like, I really just want to go home and lay down. And I was like, wow, I hope I didn't lay hands on people and I'm sick. I was thinking about these things, like I don't want to get anybody else sick or whatever. And so I went home, went to sleep, and my stomach just started, just kept hurting, right? And I woke up Sunday, or excuse me, woke up Monday morning, and now it feels like I'm getting stabbed. I got like this stabbing feeling in my stomach. I'm like, this, this is a problem. My wife's like, oh, you should call the doctor. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to call the doctor. And she's like, you really should call the doctor. I'm like, nah. So my wife left, and, uh, and then I got within maybe 40 minutes to the point where I couldn't walk. Like, it was, the pain was so bad. It felt like I was being stabbed, and I, and I was doubled over in pain. I couldn't walk. Called Anastasia, uh, who, like, I, when, it, when you get older kids, you'll get this. I called her. I think she was in her bedroom. Uh, I called her, and I'm like, um, I, I, I need you uh, to take me to the hospital. And I don't, I don't like going to the doctor. I'm definitely not trying to go to the hospital. I'm like, I need you to take me to the hospital. I got some issues right now. There's, there is something not well here. By the time we got to the hospital, I was in so much pain. I'd never experienced this level of pain in my entire life. And I'm doubled over. Uh, I got two uh, RNs for sisters, and so one thought it was a kidney stone, and the other one thought it was my appendix about to burst, and I didn't want either of those things, right? And um, the pain was so bad, finally my wife goes to the people, and like, hey, we think it might be his appendix, so can you get him in? So they put me at the head of the line, saved about three hours, and they gave me morphine. That works. I'm, I'm, I'm here to let you know, morphine works, right? Like, the intervenous, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> oh, sunflowers and daisies, I'm doing good, right? Uh, and so they sent me home. Uh, they sent me home uh, that day uh, with some medications. Um, um, they did a CAT scan, and it, and it turns out that I had a, they didn't, here's the thing, they didn't exactly tell me what was going on. They gave me the name of the condition, they gave me some antibiotics and, uh, and, and, and uh, barbiturates, or, or not barbiturates, but narcotics, that's it. They gave me names of antibiotics and narcotics, and you really, I think we, we've learned at this point, you shouldn't send home people with bottles of narcotics. Has that, we not learned that in this day and age. Not, I mean, no, don't do that. But they did. Uh, praise God, I'm not an addict. And, um, and uh, throughout the week, I got a little better, but I, I, I had a fever all week long. I kept having fevers. And uh, come Friday, I woke up and I was like, something ain't right, right? I, something, something's not right. And uh, so I went to the, the VA hospital, uh, unfortunately, and, um, and uh, they said, yeah, there's a perforation in your intestine. That means there's a hole. That's, that's not good because the food is supposed to stay in your intestines, right? Things aren't supposed to, like, it's not supposed to work that way. So they said, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, check you in, and um, we're going to uh, put you on IV antibiotics and get you better. And so I was in the hospital, and i got to tell you, uh, that I don't like being in the hospital. Uh, I, I don't recommend it. It was terrible. I didn't like it at all. But I was in there, and um, the Lord was healing me, uh, even though I wasn't healed yet. But I'm, I'm in the hospital. Uh, and they're talking about, I get there on Friday, they check me in. On Saturday, they come in, they're like, we're going to probably release you like Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm like, oh, ain't, no, uh-uh, no, this is, I don't enjoy this at all. I, I want to I go home as soon as possible. Uh, but it wasn't working. And so uh, the next day, I was still in pain. And uh, I said, doctor, listen, I want to go home. They're like, you can't go home. You're on IV antibiotics. I'm like, do whatever you got to do. I want to go home. Sunday morning, I tuned into church service here. And uh, uh, the, I was praying, 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 praying. And uh, in the morning, the surgical team came in. And uh, they, they, you know, they keep, they, they like, there's people who like, I think, enjoy cutting things out of people. And I'm like, no, that's, I'm not here for that. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not here to get, you know, just fix me. I'm not here to get cut on, right? Uh, and so, so uh, on, on, on Sunday morning, um, I'm watching service, I'm watching worship, and the doctors come in, and they, uh, the surgeons come in, and they say, hey, Monday, Tuesday, you might be good enough to go home. I'm like, oh, no, I want to go home today. Like, I'm done here. I want to go home today. And then we had the announcements. It, for those of you here last week, we had my, my wife did the announcements. Um, uh, Mike Rentler um, brought the message, but she brought him up to pray for me. And uh, Mike Rentler prayed, and you guys prayed with him. And as soon as he was done with the prayer, um, the, the other doctors came in, and they said, we're going to let you go home today. I said, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hey, come on, somebody. Because your boy was ready to go home. Your boy was ready. To, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm like, no. And so what's really funny is uh, after that, about a couple hours later, like I'm packing up, I'm getting ready to go home. And the surgical team came in. They're like, oh, how you feeling? I'm like, I'm feeling great. You know, cause I'm going home, right? And they're like, uh, and I said, hey, uh, doctor, I'll, I'll, you know, I hope you have a great week. He said, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, uh-huh, because I knew I was going home. And so I went home, and then they sent me an email about a follow-up visit because your boy was done. Uh, <laughs> But you can't tell me prayer doesn't work. Like, I would have rather the prayer work that I didn't have to go to the hospital. But I would rather the prayer work that I didn't ever fall into the pain. I would rather the prayer work that I didn't have to get on the IV antibiotics. But the prayer work that I got out of, I got out of the hospital early. And I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord showed up right when He needed to show up. Because I, I needed the IV antibiotics before they put me on the oral antibiotics, right? I would have preferred the Lord just heal me fully. All I know is last week, this time, I was in a hospital. Today I'm standing here on stage bringing the Word of God, and I'm thankful to the Lord and your prayers. Hallelujah. 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 A blessing delayed is not a blessing denied. A blessing delayed is not a blessing denied. Throw it up there for me if you would, Swan. A blessing delayed is not a blessing denied. Mary and Martha were mad at Jesus because He didn't show up when they wanted. But they didn't understand God is working on something bigger. While I was in that hospital, God was talking to me about stuff, and I'm like, I, 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 we could do this at home. We, like, I'm at the church all the time. You can talk to me wherever you want. But he's like, he had to isolate me, and I was not having a good time. But there I was. The Lord was talking to me. See, uh, Mary and Martha, they're like, Jesus, I needed you to come on this way. And what I've seen in this season is so many people didn't understand the ways of Jesus, and they're disappointed by Jesus, and they walk away from Jesus, because they don't understand that He's working on something bigger than we can understand. He's working on something deeper than we could actually figure out on our own. And if you stick with Him, amen, and if you stick with Him, come on, if you stick with Him, He's going to work it out in His ways. Let's take a look. John chapter 11, verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But verse 25, watch this. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is, this is the word of Jesus. She's like, hey, he wouldn't have died if you'd have been here. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Nothing is finished until I say it is finished. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Because we serve a God who is over sin and death. You see, Jesus saying this, this, this places Jesus, His power over death in the present. Not just in the future. Not, not, not just in, in the future, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the afterlife. Not just talking about the final judgment. Not... not, not 2,000 years ago, but, but as like a one-time miracle, wherever Jesus is, life is there. Abiding in Him every moment is the key that Jesus is talking about here. Not, not postponing His help for future trials or leaving Him behind from like, I remember when Jesus touched me back in the day. But living in contact with Jesus is living in the resurrection. He said that today is the day of salvation. It turns out that encountering God in the present is the only time to do it. 
Right now is the day that we contact Jesus. Right now is when we encounter His life. We don't wait till next week and we don't just meditate on our day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Where Jesus is there is life. Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it, let's say it, abundantly. Abundantly. This is what Jesus desires for our life. If we just, and, 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 and He wants us to walk, to live, to dwell in this life that He has given us. Can you just thank Him for life for a moment? Just thank Jesus for life. Just thank Him for life. I want to teach you a word today. You ready? This is your Greek lesson for today. Theopanustos. Theopanustos. Say it after me. Theopanustos. Theopanustos. Now, I, I don't sound like a whole room full of people. I'm going to say it again. Theopanustos. Good job. Good job. Let's talk about what is the Bible. What is the Bible? Now, now there are various ways that people have come to encounter the Bible. Uh, historically, people have read this as the story of God and His people. Somewhere around the turn of the 20th century, there was the Pentecostal movement began, began, and people began to experience the life of God in a new way. And in that, some people didn't believe that was God. And so they began devaluating the Holy Spirit, and they started putting the Bible in a place that it was never intended to be. And so they started various doctrines that started that were not historic ancient doctrines, but they were kind of new doctrines that people said were ancient but they weren't. Some began to say that the Bible, they would say that God spoke every word of the Bible. Uh, that, that the term for that is called verbal plenary, plenary inspiration. It literally means that as people wrote the Bible, God was speaking in their ear and they wrote down every word that God Said. And that sounds like, oh, that's great. The only problem is that's not a historic doctrine. And I don't want, we're not, we're not throwing away the Bible here. We want to put the Bible in its proper place. It wasn't until 1978 that the, uh, in Chicago they wrote a, a statement of faith where it came that they said that um, the Bible is inerrant in all its ways. Now, this is a weird thing to say about a book that collects poems and proverbs and and allegories and mythology. It's, it's, a, it's a weird place to put the Bible, and it causes the Bible to do something it was never intended to do. Now hear me, I believe the Bible, I read the Bible, I teach the Bible. So if you're getting worried, don't. My faith is historic. I have many, many, many church fathers that line up with what I believe. And they get this kind of thing from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And here's what it says. You've probably read this before. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Put up verse 16 again, if you would. Right there, all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, your version of the Bible may say, God breathed. And, and that's not a weird thing to say, because the word right there is theopanustos. And theo means God. And panustos is breath, or the past tense, breath. And so you would say, oh, clearly it's God breathed. And here's the problem of looking at the Bible, finding a word, finding a root word, and thinking you know what it means because you have studied one word, and, and it doesn't work that way. L let me give you an example. Put up my next slide, if you would, please. Porch pirates. Anybody know what that is? Porch pirate. That's what... Say it. They steal your packages off the porch, right? A porch pirate of people come and steal your Amazon. Right? You all know what that is, right? People are following around FedEx, stealing boxes off the... Right? That's like that's awful. A porch pirate. Like, they should go to jail. It's terrible. It should be safe. Now, I want you to imagine that 2,000 years from now, English has died as a language. It's not a language anymore. Nobody speaks what we're saying right now. And somebody finds a book from 2023 talking about porch pirates. And so they get the word porch, and they get the word pirate. And a pirate is somebody who sails on seas and commandeers other ships. And a porch in front of a house. So they figured, well, clearly there were lakes in front of houses with ships. And somehow there was a porch in this lake. And people would conquer other boats in these lakes in front of houses at these porches. 
That's literally what a porch pirate would be, right? A pirate who lives on your porch. Now, if I were to tell you I put up a camera because of the porch pirates, that's clearly not saying I want to watch ships overtake one another in front of my house. You understand what I'm saying? That is wrong. That is not how, that is a wrong hermeneutic. It's not how we exegete language. And so if we just look at words, that's not how you exegete Scripture. Are you following me here? And so you have to understand the language of the day to understand the Bible. So what they do is they read all the literature around the day to figure out how terms and idioms, like, and someone says, man, he got that new car and it was so sick. And like, and, and so 2,000 years now, oh, it was a broke down car. Didn't work well. The sick comes from the Latin root word, sickosos, you know, which means to have bad health, right? No, we got to understand how we use these words, right? And so there's a, there's a man named John Poirier. He wrote this book called The Invention of the Inspired Text. And what he came to find out as he did a far deeper analysis of this phrase is nobody used the word God or Theopanustos to mean literally the spoken word of God until about the third century. Origin of Alexandria started it. Follow me here for a second. Up until then, it had an entirely different meaning. Before the third century, he found different usages in every single piece of literature that he found it in. And so the fresh exegesis of 2 Timothy 3.16, he came up with a new interpretation. He said that all Scripture, instead of God breathed, he said this God breath doesn't mean that God spoke it. Isn't it funny that with God breathed, we take it to mean God spoke, but that's not even what it says. It doesn't say God spoke. All Scripture is God spoken. But we somehow make the leap from God breathed to God spoke, even though it doesn't say that. And we hold on to it tightly. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just bless the Lord, right? And we, they hold on to it tightly. God spoken. It doesn't say God spoken. It says God breathed. Well, what does it mean, God breathed? And what he did in his, in his, his, his searching and his um, work is he found out that this God breathed thing was used all throughout society to mean, like, that thing has life on it. It has, it has it, it's life giving. It's life giving, and it, it kind of it didn't begin to get religious connotation until it was used here. And I want you to think about like when God, in the garden, got the dirt, and He was life giving through His breath into the dirt and created Adam. This life giving, and so what, what 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 Paul was trying to tell Timothy is people are trying to get rid of the Old Testament. They're trying to get rid of these writings like it's, like it's a different religion. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't let them throw away the Old Testament. All Scripture is life-giving. It's all life-giving. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that God may be, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's all life-giving. Theopanustos. Why do I go over this one scripture right here? Why, why, why are we digging into this? Well, if all scripture is life-giving, I want you to hear this. The Word of God has life on it. I want to say it again. The Word of God has life in it. That's why when you read the Bible and someone has a favorite scripture and you read it, it doesn't mean anything for you. But you read two chapters over and it leaps off the page. What happened? It had the life of God on it. It had God breath. All of a sudden, faith entered your life because you read this thing until you found where the breath of God was in this book. If you're not sure what God is speaking to you, if you don't know how to find God, if you're in a tough situation, crack open the book of Psalms and you just keep reading. And I promise you, as, as far as I know that God has called me to ministry, just like I know that I know that Tracy Thomas is my wife and I know that I know that I'm supposed to pastor this church, I tell you today, God will speak to you through those Psalms. God will leap off the page. Life breath will be in those Psalms and it will quicken your mortal body and give you a promise. This is why you can't walk in someone else's promise. You've got to walk in the promise God has for you. Life breath. You've got to get that God breath that gives life. That's what we need to live for. This is what we need in our lives. This God breath. We, we see in Ezekiel chapter 37 another story. And in the story, Ezekiel was a prophet. And uh, the prophets in the old days, they didn't, they didn't have a lot of good things to say. 
They, 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 they didn't have a lot of good things to say. And for the first 24 chapters of the book of Ezekiel, he's telling Israel everything they did wrong and what's going to happen as a result of that. It's not an encouraging read. I've got to let you know. It's not an encouraging read. And, and he was telling them, for Ezekiel, Israel was dead. And it was nothing left there but bones. And in this chapter, uh, but when we get to chapter 37, are you with me? Ezekiel 37. Uh, in this chapter, uh, God, God gets him. The breath of God gets on Ezekiel. Right? And, he, and God gets to, 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 to Ezekiel, he breathes on him, and he starts prophesying a rebirth of the land of Israel, and the people collectively called Israel. In Ezekiel 37, uh, the, there's a prophetic vision that God gives Ezekiel. I want to show you here in a second. And he shows him in this vision. At first, it's just a prophetic vision. And he takes them to this valley where they would lay out dry bones. And as we, re- as we talked about many times, when people would die in Israel, they would wait till they, their body decomposes and they would get their bones and they would put in a special little thing called an ossuary, a box that was made for you to put your bones in. And they were stored neatly and venerated. But Ezekiel saw the bones of Israel spread out over a dry valley. And God took Ezekiel there in this vision, and then God asked Ezekiel, hey, I've shown you all these dry bones, all of Israel is scattered. And he says, after I've showed you all about the death of Israel, can there still be life here, Ezekiel? And Ezekiel don't know what to say. He's like, I don't know, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to answer this, because I've been prophesying for 24 chapters about the destruction of Israel. In verse Ezekiel 37, verse 4, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these dry bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will cause breath. I will cause the breath of God to come and bring life into these dry bones. And in the vision, Ezekiel did it and and these bones, they, they started rattling a little bit. The dry bones are rattling, and then the, the little connective tissue gets on the bones, and then muscles, and then skin, and then life. They turn into to life all over them. And, and then, then God explained this vision. God said, hey, this isn't about individual people. He explained to him this vision. He prophesied to Israel. Here's what he says. Verse 14 of Ezekiel 37. He says, I will put my spirit within you. You see this God breath, right? You see in this connective issue, right? I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. And I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Verse, uh, he says, then you will know I have done it. He literally says, I will breathe on you. And he's speaking to Israel. I want you to prophesy over all of Israel. That you see nothing but death around you. Let me get the band to come up here. You see nothing but death all around you. Dry bones. And you're like, how am I going to fix this situation in my life? I don't know how I'm going to get this situation together. And you just feel stuck. Anybody feel that way ever? AC's struggling. I feel that way right now. You're like, man, I tried everything I could. I did everything I know how to do. And all I see around me is death, dry bones. Now, now this, is, this is not like those of you who deal with anxiety and you're scared of what's going to happen. I don't want to shame anybody who has anxiety, but I want you to recognize allowing anxiety to rule over you drags tomorrow's problem in today. That's all it does is you get the worst possible scenario and you begin living it early. So get help. Do what you need to do. Study the scriptures. Find a therapist. Even if you have to get on medication until you get it regulated, you can live without it. Just don't drag tomorrow's worst case scenario into today. This is not what you were called to. This is not the life God has for you. But this is beyond that. This is beyond the what if. Israel is already destroyed. It's dead. And in Ezekiel's mind, as the prophet over Ezekiel, there was nothing that could be done for Israel. It was dead. And God tells him, but when I breathe, when I breathe into you, and you begin breathing over that, then my true redemptive purpose will come to pass. 
Romans chapter 11, Paul says, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul talks about us today. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Theopneustos. God breath. Say that, God breath. Tell your neighbor, you need some God breath. You need some God breath. Now, if they funky, give them a mint too. You know, so I can help them out a little bit. At least have minty breath if you don't got God breath. But I need you to see this. This is this is bigger than you. This is bigger than you. Ezekiel had to get that God breath because Israel needed the God breath. God's covenant people were destroyed. Ooh, let me go back to John chapter 11. You got your Bible. Go back to John chapter 11. So I want you to remember in the story here, Jesus, who had been doing all these miracles again in John, we had seen six miracles happen up to this point, and, and Mary and Martha were his closest folk, and they didn't experience the miracle, and, and they're upset, and they go to Jesus. If you had been here, you wouldn't have died. And Jesus like, I'm glad I wasn't here for your benefit. Verse 39, Jesus said, remove the stone, because Lazarus is in the tomb. Got him in the tomb, getting ready to rot. Now, this has been four days. There was a, there was a kind of a, according to Jewish tradition, uh, tradition, you bury people after the first day, within the first 24 hours. But there's many ancient societies who believe, like, you don't know if they're in a coma or not. You don't know if they're unconscious. You don't know if they have a concussion. They didn't understand medical science. They would wait three days, some people. They, you, you, within three days, he could still be alive. Fourth day, he's definitely dead. And if they're really dead on the fourth day, they're already starting to blow. Right? The rigor mortis is setting in. There's, there's, there's it's not, it's not for the sight, right? You know, you know. And so he waits four days to get there. Jesus told them he's in there, rotting. Jesus says, "Remove the stone." Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to Jesus, "Lord, by this time there will be a stench." For he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? In John, belief is always a verb. If you're struggling with just really believing, read from John. It's never a noun in John. Luke, Matthew will use belief as a, as a noun. It's always active. John. He always believes. He wants you to encounter the resurrected Jesus. John believes that Jesus is from the beginning. He wants you to get that he is beyond the man Jesus that you have met. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. What happened right there? The breath of God showed up on the scene. Lazarus was dead in the grave, but now the breath of God was there. And wherever there is Jesus, there is life. And Jesus began to speak life over that situation. I know there's dry bones. I know there's stench. I know there's rotting. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that the stone that the G that Lazarus rose up and he comes out still in his grave clothes, wrapped in the visual idea of death. But Jesus has breathed life into him with his very words. And I'm here to tell you today, I don't know how dead your dream is. I don't know how dead your finances are. I don't know how dead you think the relationship is. What you need is the Theopanustos. You need the God breath on that situation. You need the God breath on your health. You need the God breath in your finances. You need the God breath in your family. When the God breath comes in, there's no devil in hell that can stop it. There's no man on earth that can keep it from happening. There's no plot on this planet that can keep the God breath from 
manifesting life in your life. Can you say amen? Come on, somebody. Come on, receive God breath right now. Receive God breath right now. Come on, somebody. Just clap for 10 seconds and receive the God breath. I believe that he's breathing right now. He's breathing right now. He's breathing right now. In the name of Jesus, he's breathing right now. Come on, somebody, declare God breath over your situation. Declare God breath over your family. Come on, wave a hand and believe it. Stand and declare it. Prophesy over your family. God breath. The pistil panusos. You think the doctor said you ain't going to get out of this. But God then gave me a word on the inside of me. And I declare life over that situation. They said that I'm not going to make it through. Not going to come into my calling. The business is going to work. But God done gave me a word already. And I'm holding on to the God breath. That brings life into the dead. Come on, somebody. 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 I'm here prophesying. I'm plowing through your own doubt and disbelief and declaring that when God says it, there's no man that can stop it. There's no plan that can deny it in the name of Jesus.
pray a simple prayer asking God for it. And I would want everyone to repeat after me, whether you're saved or not. Get a fresh touch of the breath of God. We're going to pray to Jesus to say, Jesus. Everybody in the room, well, if you don't want to receive Jesus, no, you know, hell, there's plenty of room in hell. Say, Jesus, I have sinned. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin. That he was placed in that tomb. But the Father raised him from the dead.